morning, Southbridge. Aren't we blessed to be together to sing songs to the Lord? The scriptures tell us that the Lord inhabits the praise of his people. And if you are in Christ, then you are in his people. You're in his family. You've been adopted into his family. Welcome to Southbridge. If this is your home church, welcome home. If you're visiting with us this week, thank you so much for taking a chance and risking by coming to a theater to experience a church family. We're glad that you did, and you can look in your worship folder and bulletin to learn more about our church. And if this is your first time, we'd love to hear from you. You could fill out the connection card, and there's a section that asks, how did you hear about us? We'd love to learn about that. Take that filled out card after the service of the first time guest can ask. We have a gift for you. It's just our way of saying thank you for coming to our church, and we're glad that you're here. I want to remind you this morning that we have a special opportunity in the conclusion of the service when you leave There'll be people ready to take the $1 offering that we do every fifth Sunday of a month. And this year, your $1, or this month, your $1 will go toward helping um, our uh, members, uh, uh, missionaries of our church that are working in Panama with helping orphans and working with the government there to better their process. And um, we want to bless them with a gift. So don't forget to do that. And you can give more than a dollar if you'd like. All right? We don't do much collecting here in this way, but this is a way that we seek to bless the world around us and those that are in need. Well, this morning we're going to continue on with a theme we've been looking at the last several weeks, and I want to ask the Lord to be our instructor this morning. So would you pray with me? Lord, for this morning, thank you. Thank you for the time we have to sing your word back to you. Lord, it's the purpose of our gathering is to celebrate you, to make much of you. Our hope is in you. And God, as we open up your word, would you be our instructor? Would your spirit work mightily in our hearts? Lord, for those that have come this morning that aren't sure about you, aren't sure about your redemptive plan through your son, Jesus Christ, God, would you win them over, bring comfort and peace. To those that are hurting this morning, Lord, we ask that through your word we'd find comfort. For those of us that need to be challenged, corrected, Lord, that we'd find that by your merciful hand. And uh, Lord, we look to your word for encouragement, and we look to your spirit to do his work in our lives for the sake of the world around us. We pray expectantly because we know that you love to come through. And we pray in Jesus' name, who is our hope. Amen. Well, we've come through Christmas, and did it fly for you? Did it fly by? Is it possible that Christmas Eve is the longest night of the year? I know some people say like December 21st or the winter, whatever, solstice or whatever it is. But it's got to be Christmas Eve. I can remember before I could read time that that night felt like three nights. I can remember staying in my grandmother's house and in the room there was a Roman numeral clock and my, my dad would say, when the hand is on this, and I'd like, I see V's and X's, I don't know what you're talking about, but I'm ready for presents because I'm into myself. Well, our Christmas came and went. It uh, lasted about 15 minutes on Christmas morning. And is it possible that the most depressing day of the year is December 26th because now you have 360-something days till the next Christmas? It's got to be hopeless. No. And we're coming on to a new year. What was 2012 like for you? Think about your year, highs and lows. Think about the year for our world. Highs and lows for the world, world news that you know. Think about for our nation, highs and lows, even most recently, tragedy. Wins and losses personally for you, what was 2012 like? What do you think 2013 holds for you? For our world and for our nation, your life, your family, your friends? Over the last several weeks, we've been looking at the Christmas story, and our lead pastor has done so well at reminding us that through the Christmas story, we can trust in God's plan and in his timing. We looked at one verse specifically every week, and then we looked at different people in the Christmas story 
to learn from them how we ought to live differently in light of God's timing. And that verse was found in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. You don't have to turn there right now, but I just want to look at it one more time. And this was the theme of the month. But when the time had fully come, and who decided that the time had fully come? God, who sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, and then in verse 5 continuing, basically suggests and tells us that God sought to redeem people to himself in his time. To redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons, daughters, adopted into his family. And so Scott, our lead pastor, each week looked at different people in the Christmas story. He looked at Mary and Joseph and an old gentleman by Simeon who was hoping and promised that he'd see the Messiah before he dies. And the point, the take-home point for each message, if you remember, and maybe it was kind of beat into our heads a little bit, that you can trust in God. You can trust in his timing. And this morning, when I think about what's happening in our world, and I think about what 2013 might hold for us, I think we have to look at the same principle, that we can trust in God's plan. I think about my own life in 2012 and what that was like. I've shared with you often over the last year with any opportunity I was given to share with you and speak and preach about the adoption that we had of a Russian boy named Titus, born Kazek and Vladimir Nikolaevich, but now named Titus Alexander Tovey. Both powerful, I would say. And this boy is... God has equipped him with the muscles of, of a great warrior. Okay, He is not made like his dad, who is not a warrior. I'm an inside kind of guy. Well, I just wonder, is it, is it possible that um, the fact that we know that Russia has recently just changed their laws, that U.S. citizens cannot adopt Russian children and orphans, of which there's thousands and thousands and thousands, was it by chance that we just broke in months ahead? No. Was it by chance that Amanda and I, when we filled out our forms, we put that we'd be interested and willing to open our home and our family and our namesake to a child that has hearing loss, that the child that we eventually got connected with was diagnosed as deaf when he was born. Adoptive Russian parents said no to him because he's deaf, and when we get to Raleigh, he can hear? By chance, huh? No. So this truth is, I believe, is that that Southridge has been learning about trusting in God, and I think it's been a key word for Southridge over the last year, maybe since the beginning. We launched this church over six years ago about trusting in God. Whom will we trust? And I wonder, what is your vision then for 2013? Does it include, and it has to include, trusting in the Lord? So what I want to do this morning is I want to look at an Old Testament, I want to look at an Old Testament song. It's in, the, it's in the book of Psalm, and turn to Psalm 31. If you've got a copy of the scriptures, turn to Psalm 31, and we're just going to continue on the same theme. This is kind of like a standalone message, but linked with the Christmas series. Next week, we start a new series in the book of Acts, and our lead pastor is going to start us off with that. It's going to be an exciting time for our church as we learn about God's plan for the church. But in Psalm chapter 31, I think we hit again the idea of trusting in God's timing. I just want to look at that again, knowing that we're coming upon a new year. We know that there's several kinds of psalms. Psalms are songs, and some are about adoration, praising God. Some are confession. Some are lament, sorrow, and sadness over life circumstances. Some are corporate, and some are individual. And the one that we're looking at this morning is individual from the King David. We know David is a king not only from the Scriptures, but outside of Scripture. History tells us this. It is believed that he existed. People agree that he existed and went through the things that he went through. And this song is from him to the Lord and about the times in which he lives and about trust. And I'm going to read verses 1 all the way through our two key verses this morning. This message is really about two verses, but to set up context for you, which is always important when you're reading God's word, let's look at verse 1 and consider this life. 
Consider the times of David. In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. Free me from the trap that is set for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Redeem me, O Lord, the God of truth. I hate those who cling to worthless idols and I trust in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in your love, for you saw my affliction. You knew the anguish of my soul. You have not handed me over to the enemy, but have set my feet in a spacious place. Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish, my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction, and my bones grow weak. Because of all my enemies, I am the utter contempt of my neighbors, and I am a dread to my friends. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I am forgotten by them as though I were dead. I have become like broken pottery, for I hear the slander of many. There is terror on every side. They conspire against me and plot to take my life. This is a sad song, isn't it? This is worse than a country song. And country songs are bad. Everyone agrees. But this guy is going through hard, terrible things, wouldn't you say? You know, your life has experienced highs and lows. And David can resonate. And your life can lay on top of David's with highs and lows different and we'll talk about his times in the future here in just a second. But David's going through tough stuff. He lists all these terrible things. But look at verse 14. And 14 and 15 are our key verses for today. And I hope you would incorporate them into your vision for this next year. So in light of, or in spite of, David uses this word, but, but. And that's a contrast word. But I trust in you, O Lord. And I say, you are my God. Stop. David is saying, I can trust in God regardless of any circumstance. If you're the kind of person that likes outlines of Scripture, just write these notes to yourself. Verses 1 through 8, the idea is that when others do evil, trust God for strength. In verses 9 through 18, where there is pain, trust God for mercy. You can put 19 through 24 together. When you experience victory by God's grace, trust God with the glory. There's multiple ways to outline this song. But the highlight of the song is that David is saying, in spite of the troubles of my life, the highs and lows of my life, I will trust in you. I will put my hope in you. You are my God. So we have to ask ourselves, loved ones, don't we? He trusts in God. What do you trust in? Who or what do you put your confidence in for this next year? Your bank account? The fiscal cliff is coming. Our government, do you trust in our government? Are the changes the government is making for your hope? Or are you in despair over the government? What do you trust in? Your own strength? Your mighty intelligence? The scriptures talk about the kinds of things people trust in. David writes here that he despises or hates those that trust in idols. Another psalm writes this. Psalm chapter 20, verse 7, about trusting the Lord. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. They're talking about basically military strength for where rest would come from in the middle of conflict. But we, that is the people who call the Lord their Lord, trust in the name of the Lord our God. Meaning I trust in his testimony of his, of his character and of his deeds. 
I can remember growing up uh, in seventh grade, I had the privilege of paying, playing basketball for the Freedom Baptist Falcons, which was my school. My classroom size was about the size of 20 kids, so we got to play every sport and do everything that we wanted to do in this small Christian school. And I can remember the most critical part of middle school basketball is actually warm-ups, because this is where you decide if you have hope to win based on how you view and judge the other team. Now, I've been 5'9 since 7th grade, so I was a tall point guard, but my hope was in my teammate, Joel D., who was over 6'2". Huh? So if they've got any guys that are 6'5", we're doomed! Just judging on appearances, which we all do, because kids grow up to be adults that do the same. We look at the circumstances and decide, we look at ourselves and our own ability, our bank accounts, our family, the structures around us, our government, our safety, our police, whoever we look to for hope, that's what we decide if we've got hope against the circumstance. Just so you know, we went 22 and 2 in middle school. (laughs) Everyone remembers that. What do you trust in? See, when you're trusting in God, you're trusting in who he is. And every point over the last month, the take-home point was trust in God's plan, trust in God's plan, trust in God's timing. And I've just been wondering, as I'm somewhat of a skeptic, and maybe you are too, I like to ask questions of points. Why should I trust in God? I get that you're telling me I should trust in God, but why should I trust in God? And this morning I want to look at two points, two reasons why of many that we could come up with from Scripture. And we're going to look at lots of Scripture today and hope they just wash over your soul and give you life. I hope this morning is a blessing to you. So we could trust in God because of who he is, his strength over any circumstance we face. And there's two reasons. And the first is this. The scriptures tell us because he cares for you. Why would I trust in God in light of trouble in my life? And Jesus promises you'll have trouble. Why would I do it? The scripture tells us because he cares. In this psalm, we see it. David trusts in God's care as an evidence by this song. In verse 7, he rejoices in God's love, that God sees his affliction, knows the anguish of his soul. And later on, he mentions more of God's unfailing, loving care. In verse 16 and 21, all throughout this, David has got these circumstances that are crazy, terrible. And yet he says he trusts in the Lord. And why? Why would he trust in God? Because by faith, he believes, and by experience, he knows that God cares. God cares. The scriptures tell us Old Testament and New about God's care. Let's look at the, the book of the law in the law, Exodus. We know the story of Exodus is that God is redeeming his people from slavery, hundreds and hundreds of years of slavery. And God has been working out his purposes according to his good counsel and his plan to raise up someone who would bring them out, rescue them, redeem them, which is really a foreshadowing of Christ, isn't it? Who we sing about? In Exodus chapter 3, we catch a glimpse of God's um, his wiring, his personality in the face of his people being in slavery and in bondage. Look at Exodus chapter 3 with me, verse 7. So the Lord says, basically in response to the cries and the prayers of his people, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned, that word care, about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land. David says the same, that God sets his feet in a spacious place. A land that's flowing with milk and honey and the home of all the ites. You know them. 
Old, New Testament, you see about God's care. And so the question comes in, right? If God cares, why would he allow his people to be in slavery? And this thought came to me in the middle of the night in one of my coughing fits, because I get a cough every November and December. It's part of God's plan for me. Isn't it interesting that we use phrases like this? If God cares, then why do... If God is good, then why do... And why do we word it that way? I'd like to suggest this, and maybe this is from the Holy Spirit. I want to encourage your heart with this. Start with this. Since God cares, I will now view my circumstances in light of that. It's not a question if God cares, because that would connote the idea that God's character changes and shifts. It's not if he cares, it's he does care. His word tells us that. History tells us this. His people know this. They've experienced this from him. Since God cares, how will I view this trouble? Don't doubt. Don't let circumstances shift your view of a steady God. We know God cares. His scripture tells us this. History tells us this. So the question many would ask is, why would God wait so long to save his people from oppression? And I don't know if we're always ready for the answer. We're not ready for why answers usually, the answers to the why questions, because we just don't want the circumstances. It's not the reason. Even if he gives us the reason, are we going to be happy? Oh, yeah, okay, I'm ready to be a slave for 400 years. I mean, generations had died and new ones came up after them that only knew slavery. And God says in his word, I've seen, I know, I care. I'm going to rescue in my time as I raise up the perfect person for this scenario so that my glory can be on display. Our response has to be, are we cool with that? And guess what? Sometimes we're not, are we? And when we say we're not cool with God's timing of circumstances, what we're saying is that we'd make a better God. And I'm a B student, but I think I'm a good God. You're only getting a B average in the Bible today, just so you know. God cares. We see this through the prophets. It's not just New Testament language. We see this in Exodus. We see this through the prophets. Jeremiah chapter 31, this suffering prophet, says, The Lord appeared to us in the past, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. That's care. You would only know me, the Lord says, because I care about you. Your eyes would be darkened by the circumstances of this world if it wasn't for my care that I would take the shield from your eyes so that you would see me. I care about you. A scripture to commit to memory for you and your family would be this. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, written by a man who knew trouble, Peter, who was trouble himself, just like we ourselves can be trouble. He writes this. Cast all your anxiety on him, that is God. And don't we live in an anxious time? Aren't more people taking medicine for anxiety, which I'm not saying is wrong, but to illustrate the fact that we live in an anxious time, a time of stress and trouble, as God predicted and prophesied through Christ? Cast your anxiety on him. Why? What does the scripture say, loved ones? Because he cares for you. See, that's the constant. Why should I trust in God when bad circumstances come my way in 2013? One, because he cares for you. He cares for you. Well, I don't know if I really like his care that much. (laughs) Don't doubt. He cares for you. See, this isn't an impersonal force. This is a loving Heavenly Father. His word evidences care. Those people aren't into God's word. They're not sure of the authority, reliability of it. 
And history shows us his care by the sending of his son, Jesus Christ. Do you know this scripture in your heart? For God so loved, that's a loving, tender care, people, the world is people, that he gave as a gift his only son, who is himself God, Jesus Christ. So that whoever would believe, trust, put faith in, put hope in Christ, his work, who he says he is and what he's done, will never perish, meaning never be separated from God from all eternity. That's what that means by perish there. But have everlasting life with him, which begins with knowing him now, not just heaven someday. That's an evidence of God's care. A people that mock and are against God's ways, that think we make a better God than God himself, he sends his son to those people, me and you. I have three sons. I would never send them for you. And I like you. Some of, some of you a lot. I, wouldn't, I, don't, I don't know. I would offer myself if God would give me the grace. He cares for you. For God so loved the world. How do we see his care? We see it through his word. We see it through the action of sending his son. And we see it through his spirit, evidence in the lives of the people that are called by his name, meaning Christians, how they care for one another. They will know you are Christians by your love, and it's God's love, which is a supernatural ability to love, to yield to another's best interest. Not, I like what you do for me kind of love. And so God's care is seen through how his people care. Have you experienced that ever? Let's ask the question. You testify to God's greatness in your life by answering in your mind, when have you experienced his care? When have you experienced his care even through tragedy? Is it something coming to mind? I hope so. When has a a Christian friend extended God's care to you in such a way that it hit you right at the need? And there's no way they could have known that unless the Lord directed them. I've got my stories. So let's ask the question again. Why would a caring God allow such awful things in my life? This is the question that many ask. And do you have an answer to this, loved ones? Because your answer actually impacts how you live. And your friends that don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, who struggle with the idea of trusting God, or perceive God as an impersonal force, they want to know your answer to that question. So it's an apologetic, it's an evangelistic issue. And I would say that the answers, the initial responses of why these bad things or troubling things happen, I think the answers vary. There's not always one smaller reason. I mean, there's multiple reasons. Sometimes it's because we live in a place that's um, falling. We live in a world that's decaying. It's not improving, it's getting worse. We live in a time where there's seasons and there's change and there's nature. And this nature is powerful and radical we live in a fallen world. We live in a, we live in a world where people look out for themselves, and sometimes we experience trouble because of that. There's always a ripple effect of sin. Sometimes we experience trouble because of, for our own discipline or the consequences of our decisions. Sometimes it's not always all those answers for every trouble, but I think there's multiple reasons for why bad things happen. However, I think an overarching principle is this for those that are in Jesus Christ. I believe that the good and bad that come to our lives are to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. So I would, for myself, I would humbly suggest this notion. When trouble comes, I'm trying to trust in the Lord, but I'm trying to learn about what it means to trust Him. 
when I perceive something as bad coming into my life, I begin with, since God is good, how will I view this and how will I turn to him? I can't tell you how often in the middle of my anxieties, and you need to know this, I could turn pro at worrying. I'm better than you at it. I'm awesome at worrying. I would turn into myself and try to scheme and plan in my heart and my mind out of the troubles of my life. That's fantasy, by the way. And it yields no life. It gives no peace. So God looks upon our souls, and when we're in trouble, he knows whether we are made better at that time for affliction. That's how amazing he is. He knows when he looks at our life, if affliction would be best for us, so as to conform to the image of his son. Does this make God a cosmic bully then? I'd say by no means. I would say it makes him really good at being God. See, every believer experiences dangers and deliverances just like David over and over again. Dangers and deliverances. Dangers and deliverances. Rescuing over and over again just as David did. And we do this, we experience this until we're delivered by death. It is appointed that each person should die once. But it doesn't mean you have to be eternally dying in separation from God if you place your faith and confidence and trust in the work of Christ. God's offering you that gift today. And death is our last enemy, isn't it? And this is why the Christian, as Jesus says, you know, if death comes upon you, then that's your gain. Paul writes the same, to live is Christ and to die is because your trust is in God. So number one, why can I trust in God? I think a reason of many reasons is because God cares. The scriptures tell us this. We experience this. We experience this through other people. Secondly, for those of you like to take notes, it's because he's capable. Why should I trust in God in light of trouble and whatever's going to happen in 2013? Because he cares and he's capable. David calls, this, uh, calls attention to this idea in this psalm that we're looking at. He calls to the Lord because he, because he trusts in God's ability. He trusts in God's testimony of deeds in the past. In this psalm, he sees God as a deliverer in verse 1. Rescuer in verse 2, rock, refuge, strong fortress in verse 2, leader and guide in verse 3, more and more as the psalm continues on. I mean, David has an understanding, a belief that God is truly capable to be all these things. And guess what? David understands that he's incapable. The older I get, the more I recognize my incapability. There's something to be said of youth and the pride that comes with thinking that we know all things. Hmm? But all throughout Scripture, we see God's capability of doing amazing things. Let's start with the book of the law again. Let's start in the Old Testament again. In fact, we can go through every book of the Bible and look at God's capabilities. How many books are in the Bible, loved ones, do you know for your discipleship? 60? 66? Let's go through them, shall we? Genesis tells us of God's creative abilities. He is capable to make things out of nothing. The phrase there in Hebrew is ex nihilo, which means to create out of nothing, to (laughs) the world. All I can make is a mess. I can never make something out of nothing. That's how good of a God he is. He's capable. Exodus tells us of his power. Do you remember the ten plagues that we see there? He's got this power to send in these bugs, these frogs, these ailments, death, Because he's God. We know as God's leading his people out, and we shared this a few weeks ago the last time I got to preach, that God's people were tired of manna and they wanted quail, and so God sends quail to them. They were not in a region where quail was, and God sends quail to them four feet high as far as the eyes can see. Meat was coming out of their noses. You want me? Okay, here it is. 
because I'm capable. Sometimes I give you what you want. Sometimes I don't because I know what is best. And sometimes I give you what you want so that in the end you'll turn to me. Leviticus. We recognize God is capable of holiness and that we are incapable of holiness. And guess who goes to heaven? Sinners that are made holy by the righteousness of God, implanted, imputed into our lives through the holiness of Jesus Christ. So some people say, well, perfect people don't go to heaven, sinners do. I agree, but God views them as perfect because they've taken on his son as their redeemer. I mean, we could do this through every book. God is capable. We see his capabilities and why they ought to create a trust toward him in us. In Luke chapter 18, a scripture we've looked at before, verse 27, we learn more about God's capability. And the idea here that there's a conversation going on, basically that people can't save themselves. And Jesus replies, what is impossible with men is possible with God. God doing the impossible. And he's been doing it since the beginning and before a beginning. Our God can do what is impossible and for us, what we could never do on our own. So let me ask you this question, just as we asked before. When have you experienced God's care? When have you experienced God's extravagant, amazing, supernatural capability? Romans tells us that we can see the invisible qualities of God seen in nature. I've been in the ocean before, uh, trying to learn how to surf, which requires skill, and I don't have any. And I remember getting thrown under the surf and not thinking it was coming up. And guess who decided to give the power of the waves its power? And how much power? The scriptures tell us. Did you know who? The Lord. Who's stronger than nature. He commands, Christ commands the winds and waves to stop. Peace, be still. And they obey him. Why should we trust in God with whatever's going to happen in this next year, in our world, in our country, in your lives, the highs and lows of your life, because he cares and he's capable? A favorite psalm, I think, of our senior pastor, Scott Leary, references it often, so I'm going to think it's one of his favorite, is Psalm 139. And in this psalm, we see of God's intimate involvement in forming each of us for his perfect will. And this thought just came to my mind early this morning, and I want to share it with you. The scriptures are clear that you are, by God's capability, you are perfectly made. Frail and feeble, weaknesses and shortcomings, by his capability to accomplish his purposes perfectly. Now, I've despised how God's made me since at least fifth grade till this morning. I am not impressed when I look in the mirror. I'd rather be 6'9 than 5'9. I don't want curly hair. It is a curse. But my mom likes it. But God's word tells, tells us that he, he's, he's forming us in the exact way you were made. The way your babies were made, God decided that that's exactly what was best to, according to his good counsel to accomplish his will. How your parents were made, everyone that you know their weaknesses and their disabilities, whatever it is that they have, God said, this is, oh, this is, this is the best for what I have planned. <laughs> I've done it again. And guess what? He can glory in himself because he's worthy of praise.
The scriptures in Psalm 139 tell us this, that God is only capable of knowing us but planning our days, the events, and our times. In Psalm 139, verse 16, you can read that all the days were ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So God's not only capable of making you as he made you for his goodwill and for his good pleasure and for his purposes, but when you arrived and where you'll live and where you'll be. Because he's ordained every day. And this coincides beautifully with David's song that we're looking at in verse 31. And what was, or chapter 31, what was verse 14 about? I will trust in you. You are my God. And look at verse 15. This is part A. And this is a verse that you need to commit to memory that will bring you peace. David says, my times are in your hands. God's hands are are caring and capable. And David, looking at the tragedy around him and looking at his own life, he says that he'll trust in God because his, his times, his days, the events of his days are in God's hands. This is an expression of belief, of faith. It's a, it's a statement of trusting in the providence and sovereignty of God. A confidence that God is working his plan. So let me tell you a little bit about David's times. We looked at them in this song. And you may know this, and this is not only found within the scripture, but outside of scripture and the history books of the world and the places in which David lived still exist today. I've seen them with my own eyes. Maybe you have too. See, maybe you don't remember, but David had a a lot of highs and lows in his life. He had lots of brothers. He was born of a family with lots of brothers. And in time, David and his trust in the Lord, God works it out to where David would work for the king. David has got amazing capabilities and abilities. He's a songwriter, a harpist. He can defend sheep. He can kill animals. I can't do it. Don't have the courage. Poor Bambi. He has this opportunity where there's this defiant enemy of God's people, Goliath. Have you heard this story before? And no one will face him, and David faces him. I've been to the Valley of Elah before. I've been there with my own eyes. In fact, my dad and my brother each took five stones because David took five stones. I took one because it only took one. (laughs) Which I'm confessing that I've stolen property from Israel. So I'm not a perfect pastor. And David defeats this giant in God's name because he trusts in God, the text tells us. Then David goes on basically to be pronounced as king. The Bible says this about David, that he is a man after God's own heart, which I think gives us all hope that other people can be after God's own heart. Someone that responds to God as God desires, someone that God wants to spend time with, someone that God's proud of. I I want that, don't you? David's times are filled with lots of military victory. This guy is a renaissance man, and I know some. He commits adultery, plots murder, loses his newborn son because of his sin. His sin and failed leadership lead eventually to, trans, uh, to the fragmentation of the kingdom. His family and significant uh, authority are basically taken a- away from him, and he's got secret sin issues. And David's son, Absalom, eventually creates a following of his own and wants to take his dad's life and take the kingdom from him. And David's best friend growing up was killed by the king, or not killed by the king, but died in battle before him. So David's experienced loss, the loss of a best friend, the loss of a son. And then later on, his best friend, this counselor, Ahithophel, follows the king's son, treason his son. 
So David's lost people to death. He's faced death. He's been hiding. He's got the future ahead of him that's bleak because of his sin, his leadership. And yet God says that he's dear and this guy's lived a life. And David says that my times are in your hands. David says in this psalm, I can trust in God even in the difficult circumstances. I can trust in God in the midst of evil against me. I can trust in God in the midst of friends and community failing me because people hurt people, don't we? And David is saying essentially that our lives time is in God's hands to bring about whatever events according to the counsel of his will. And David says, okay, that's okay. Amazing. See, we can trust in God because he cares and he's capable And since God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, I believe that we can make the same statement. That your times are in his hands. This should bring comfort to us, shouldn't it, loved ones? I was reminded by one of our small group leaders in our church this week that God is involved in the pages of the book of our life that he's written according to Psalm 139. He He knows the past, he knows the future, he's working all throughout it. And the scripture tells us that he cares and he's capable of holding your times in his hands. So let's look a little more at that phrase, like a one-verse Bible study method, which people do. Let's break the phrase up into a couple of phrases. At first, I want to look at my times, this notion of my times, and I want to look at God working in time according to his time. Let these scriptures wash over you. <coughs> Excuse me. Psalm 139, 15, and 16. Looking at God and his relationship to time. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Look at Acts chapter 1 verse 6. So when they met together, this is the disciples, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. God holds time in his hands. He holds time, your times, in his hands. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, when we could only sin, Christ died for the ungodly, which is everyone. In time. In God's perfect timing, as we've seen in Galatians 4, verse 4. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who, while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession, I charge you to keep this commandment without spot until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is coming again in the Father's time, at the appointed time, because our times are in his hands. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9 more of God working in time. He made known to us, this is the Lord, made known to us, this is those that are in Christ Jesus, disciples, followers of Christ, the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and earth together under one head, even Christ. The scriptures tell us this, that God holds all things together because our times are in his hands. Time, history, events, circumstances, They are in God's hands. Will you trust him? He's capable. He's caring. Let's look at that phrase, are in his hands. Let me tell you a little bit about God's hands, and we've got to fly. 
In John chapter 10, verse 27, we read, catch a glimpse, and talking about God's hands, it's a personification. God is spirit, the scripture tells us, but it's an idea of him, how he works in this world. Jesus is saying in response to um, some teaching he's doing that he is the good shepherd. He says, my sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, meaning have ex- uh, eternal separation from God. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Isaiah, the prophet, Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. The Old Testament language of right hand means strength. Sorry, lefties. In God's righteous right hand. And the scriptures tell us that all things were created by him and for him, and all things are being held together by Christ. Your times are in his strengthened hands. When I do this, I'm trying to act as if I've got power, but I want to forget if it's just total peace like this. I'm not worried about a thing, he says. I'm never surprised. I don't sleep or slumber, which means this. Nothing gets to you in your life with God, without God's permission. And it's not because he thinks you can handle it, because you can't. It's a lie to believe that God never gives us anything we can't handle. You can't handle this life. He can so he'll give you more than you can handle so you turn to him and trust in him. That doesn't make him a bully. That makes him crazy wise. Because <laughs> he wants you to want to be with him. He wants you to be in relationship with him. And he's doing everything he can to afford that possibility. Your times are in his hands and his hands are capable. And his hands are caring. And ours are not capable. There is nothing I can do to save my children because I am not the Savior. There's nothing I could do to help this church be uh, all in agreement all the time and love everyone other than me just loving people. Because God has our church. He has your life. He has our times in his hands. And my prayer is that we would just seek to do what he desires. In the book of Job, we read about God's hands that they bless, give wealth, protect, restrain, strengthen weak hands, heal, deliver. They fashion and make us. They do great works. They mark off the ends of the oceans and place the stars in the sky. He knows each one. And guess what? There's a lot. Which makes him smart. And he's good at being God. These are good hands, caring and capable. Have you seen the commercial before? The Allstate insurance hands? You're in good hands with Allstate? With a really cool guy from the guy that was the president in the show 24 long ago? He's handsome and sharp, isn't he? His voice is crazy. But guess what? Allstate isn't that great of hands. When it comes to all the troubles and tragedy of life inside and out and the trouble we make ourselves, are you in good hands? Answer, yes, I'm in God's. Capable and caring. That's Allstate stand. See, our best response to God then, and let's just close, our best response to God that in light of our times and the circumstances that we face, because of his care and capability, the majesty of his hands, is to say as the psalmist says in our song that we're looking at today, in Psalm 31, look at verse 5 together. You might know this verse. What ought our response be then to our times, since God is caring, not if, is to say this, into your hands I commit my spirit. Redeem me, O Lord, the God of truth. Have you heard that verse before? It's because Christ says it on the cross, and he only does what the Father tells him to do. Into your hands I commit my spirit. It's a a way of saying, I give you my life. I get that my times are in your hands. Where will I go but to you? 
You are my hope. I will trust in you. You care better about my life than I care about it. I make a mess of it. I do dumb things all the time. And yet you hold me. You stick with me. You're calling me unto righteousness by your grace. I will trust in you. Into your hands I commit my spirit. We learned several weeks ago that Mary said something very similar. May it be to me as you have said, she says to the angel. She's saying, God, you have my life. Has anyone here ever thought this? Don't raise your hand. Just think, if God says he cares and allows bad things to happen in my life, maybe I'd be better off in my own hands. That's an honest wonder. And let me share an admonishment with you. An admonishment is when someone corrects you for the sake of the truth because they're for you. And people that do admonishing are not popular. The truth is is that we don't make very good judge judges of circumstances my children when I discipline them they think that's bad but my God says that's good because parents who don't discipline children are bad parents their view of discipline then might be bad right couldn't that be carried over to multiple different troubles in our life then we don't make good judges of circumstances we're not good at it because we look out to our own interest and God looks at to the interest of the world by sending his son and works out all issues so that people would be conformed to his son for God's glory. <laughs> so the truth is this then, if you've had that wonder, we don't make good gods. You know, I'm 35 years old and I've got some life in me and I've got some strength, but I'm not as strong as God. I'm not as old as God. He's been around. And sometimes in my infinite wisdom, I think I know what is best. We make terrible gods and it's our pride that would suggest that we'd have a better life if we weren't in God's hands as if it's possible. (laughs) Even in a sorrowful bitterness, maybe you feel like, well, I'm not prideful, I'm just terribly bitter toward the Lord. That's actually a form of pride. You might not have friends that will correct you on that. It's a pride that suggests the notion of being better outside of God's hands, which is impossible, or that he isn't capable, that he's incapable, or that he doesn't care. So our pride sometimes blinds us to the truth, and the accuser tempts us to believe the opposite of the truth, that God cares and he's capable, therefore you can trust in him, will you? The truth is that with him there is hope, and without him there's none. Several years ago, a book was written, Why Bad Things Happen to Good People by Rabbi Kushner. You'd think someone who's a rabbi would trust in the sovereignty and strength of God. And the conclusion of the book was, because God's not in control. Well, what God is that? That's not a God. I'm equal to that God then. Some people conclude that God's not involved. Why believe in God? And for those that don't believe that God exists, all three of those views are hopeless. Unbiblical, not scripturally informed, and are a robbing of life for your soul. With him we have hope. So be blessed by this. A peace that passes our limited understanding of our times and the troubling events of our lives and the whys of all the circumstances, a peace that passes the understanding of those things and the whatever may come into the new year to our lives, a peace that passes our understanding of all those things comes when we trust in the Lord and his care and capability, loved ones. And when we submit to him, rather than fight him, because he's for you. And when we lean into him and trust in him. And when you do that, you'll have a peace that overcomes circumstances that other people will want what you've got. And when asked what you have, you simply say, I've got Jesus. 
Let's pray. Lord, for this morning, thank you. Thank you for your word. Lord, I pray for each person here that you would enable them to trust. Lord, we say we have, we say we have beliefs about you and about how things ought to go in this world, but we've got unbelief issues. Would you help us with our unbelief? Would you give us a faith that can only come from you, that changes us for the sake of those around us? Not just so that we would have peace, but that, so that we would be a blessing to other people. Lord, we know that without you, we have no hope. Without your sent son, by the, by the gospel that we've come to know and believe, Lord, and teach and want to live, Lord, we, we, that is our hope. Our hope, Lord, is not in our righteous deeds or how not naughty we are, Lord, but is in you and your holiness and your great love and tender care and capability, Lord. Grow us in our faith. Protect us as a church. For each person that's here, Lord, may they come to know you in this trusting, intimate way. So they may see, I surrender my life. They may say, I surrender my life to you. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Amen.